Napa know-how. There are lots of amazing cars on the road, but perhaps none more amazing than the paid-off car. It may not be pretty, but the price is right. Heck, if you keep that thing running, it'll actually start paying you. Because with Napa Rewards, for every $100 you spend, you'll get $5 off. So keep your car running longer, stronger with Napa Rewards, and watch the savings start rolling in. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 211 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and uh, joining me for today's podcast is uh, Derek Bodner, a very, very smart NBA draft guy, uh, formerly of USA Today, and uh, I believe still at Draft Express, and as well as DerekBodner.com. He's sort of doing a very cool thing and branching out and kind of doing content on his own and covering the Philadelphia 76ers, so you'll want to check that out for sure uh, before he joins me. Uh, that's that's coming up in a second, but before we get to that, a couple of things to hit on uh, just news-wise before we get to Derek. Uh, Chris Bevermore of the AJC has reported a bunch of workouts that I wanted to at least pass along your way that the Hawks have been doing or, or will be doing. Uh, Jared Allen of Texas was in the building um, for the Hawks uh, earlier this week. Uh, he's a very, very intriguing player, one that I like quite a bit. I'm not sure he'll be available when the Hawks pick at, at number 19, but... He, he reportedly had a lengthy uh, interview and workout with the Hawks on Monday, so that's uh, very, very intriguing to see, as well as a couple of a uh, couple of uh, you know second round type of guys. Uh, North, North Carolina's Nate Britt, um, BJ Beecham from Notre Dame, and LJ Peak of Georgetown, all reported by Christopher Moore of the AJC as workout guys, and uh, another first round possibility in the form of Justin Jackson, uh, who was one of the best players on North Carolina's team, if not the best player on North Carolina's team this season, the title winning squad. Uh, Jackson's a three and D kind of player, uh, not necessarily the best fit in the world with Atlanta just because he's a veteran college wing in the same sort of mold as a Bembry and Prince last year, but he's a better shooter. If you believe that, if you believe this year, we'll actually we'll talk to Derek about that in a little bit, but Jackson was in, oh, actually will be in for a visit later this week, and that's something to keep an eye on because of the fact that he's been mocked to Atlanta a couple times and sort of, is it going to be around in that range, potentially a little bit off the board before Atlanta picks at 19, but at least a reasonable target in the first round. And of course, uh, more of these, more, more of this, more of these workouts are going to be leaking in the coming days. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Uh, otherwise, not a ton of other news to get to. And uh, with that said, we can get to the interview with Derek Botter. So uh, please stay tuned. As, as always, subscribe to the podcast, do all those fun things. And uh, here is Derek on the NBA draft. Derek, thanks for doing this, man. What's going on? It is my pleasure. Not much. Uh, it's nice to have you. Uh, you are one of the people that I trust the most when it comes to the NBA draft, and that's what we're going to be doing today. I know I, I almost started to uh, read off your various uh, websites, but uh, I'll just go with DerekBotter.com. Is that, is that the best place now? That is that is the best place, yeah. Uh, I am a, I am a Patreon follower of yours. I enjoy your work immensely. So oh, there you uh, go. I have no idea why, but thank you. Uh, just to, I like to support. I, I I'm also that um, uh, Nate and Danny. I, I all those guys. I like, I like to support you guys because you guys do a good job. So there you go. Um, well, the Hawks are interesting when it comes to the draft um, for a number of reasons. I guess before we get into some players, which we can obviously do because they have the 1931 and 60th picks. Uh, what kind of what kind of philosophy guy are you, especially when you get this deep in the draft? Like, for instance, the 19th pick, are you, in general, a best available player guy? Do you uh, Are you more of a fit guy, somewhere in the middle? I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle, but I'm wondering how you just think in general about that kind of stuff. 
No, I mean, I am a best player available as long as it doesn't come at the expense of fitting with your core pieces. So, like, I'll, I'll use the Sixers because that's a, a pretty good example, I think, but also one that I'm more closely familiar with. Um, you know, Ben Simmons is such a unique fit. And really, when I'm talking fit with him, it's shooting. And if you can't shoot and you can't, uh, you know, fit in that regard, then it's going to be tough to really get you time, get you minutes. As long as you can fit and you don't overlap, a lot of times you're talking, you know, putting out their two seven-foot centers probably isn't tenable in today's NBA. Or putting out two six-foot point guards, that's probably not going not gonna to work. So as long as you don't clash to that degree, then I'm pretty much in the best player available. But the further down you get in the draft, I mean, look, you're not going to get a franchise-altering talent with the 31st pick. Probably not. I mean, you're going to leave out the Draymond Green probability, or possibility, not probability. But you're not likely to get that kind of guy. So if you can't then play off of your core, then it almost doesn't matter how good your talent base is. You're probably not going to be in a position where you can succeed. So I think at the top of the draft, a more BPA, but I start you know, taking fit deeper into account when you start getting down there. Yeah, I'm kind of with you basically across the board there. I do think you know, this Hawks team is really difficult. I know you're not covering the team, a team on a day-to-day basis like I am, but there's so, there's so many free agents on this roster and so much uncertainty on this roster that it makes it even harder to figure out. Um, there are some guys who look to be you know, somewhat entrenched, whether it's Torian Prince or uh, even Dennis Schroeder. I guess Dwight Howard being the fact that he's on the roster right now, you have to think about that kind of stuff. But uh, there, aren't, there aren't a ton of just like positions or at least skill sets that are completely off the board in terms of guys that you want to avoid unless of course you think Dwight is going to be around for the long haul but I don't really necessarily think that so it kind of opens the board up a lot with regard to the Hawks uh, for better or worse is that it's kind of tough to figure out what exactly they quote-unquote need there are some obviously some skill sets they they need some shooting based on last year they don't have a ton of shooting but aside from that uh, it's kind of a not pure best not pure best available player because I think there are some uh, I mean Dennis Schroeder for instance like I'm not sure point guard will be a top priority that kind of stuff but uh, it's it's definitely interesting with regard to the Hawks, but um, there are lots of guys. You know, at 19, I think uh, 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 the, the, one of the big themes that I've been asked about by a lot of people is sort of all these uh, these project big men, these you know relatively high upside big men that might be available in that spot. You know, your Harry Giles, your Justin Pattons, uh, Jared Allen, Bam Adebayo, that kind of crew. Uh, is that a is that a crew that you actually are interested in? I know obviously each guy is different, but um, any of those guys jump out to you as being you know sort of more special? Obviously, with the caveat that you know one or two of these guys might be off the board by the time the Hawks pick a nineteen. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's an interesting spot because there's a, a real run of centers in that portion of the draft. The at the top you have a lot of of point guards and forwards, and then as you start getting into that fifteen to twenty five range, there's just a run of centers, and I think they all bring some things to the table. Uh, you know, from Anigbogu to Patton to Giles to Jonathan Jean, I think there's some some real talent there. Um, exactly which one you go for, it, it, it it's kind of tough. Like I, it, Harry Giles to me is is one of the most difficult to measure guys in this draft because I I have to separate what I saw in high school and seeing him at very various uh, you know shoe camp events. Um, he was just on another level talent wise than a lot of these guys were, and athletically. And you didn't see that guy at Duke at all this year. And it's hard for me to completely separate that because you do you talk about so much of these knee injuries where it's not the first year back, it's the second year back where you really start looking at some of these guys. And if that's if that's the case, I still think there's some talent left in him. But man, that's a that's a huge risk. That's a risk I'm not sure I would be really willing to roll a dice on in the teens there, um, or even in even in the late teens where you guys are. But he will be really interesting for me to watch down the line. I do like Justin Patton. If I had to pick kind of like a, a safer center prospect in this draft in that range, 
I think Justin Patton would probably be that guy. Just with the way the NBA is going in terms of his rim running, the ability he shows as an off-the-ball weak side shot blocker, and I think you can even get something out of that jump shot down the line. I think he is probably a relatively safe bet in today's NBA because of what you ask for your big men there. But he's kind of the guy that stands out there. And then obviously the the kind of high upside play is Jonathan Jean, who I probably have seen the least of. But anytime you can get a guy that big who can alter shots at the rim like that, he always piques my interest. Yeah, it seems like uh, he's definitely fast rising as well. I, I guess he looked good at the combine. I, I was, of course, not there, but I uh, heard a bunch of good things about his skill set. And like, he sort of uh, popped up as a guy who was uh, more, uh, more, more considered, at least in the sort of the mock circles as a late first round than anything else. Um, do you th- do you think Jared Allen is in this tier or is he in the tier above? Because based on like if you look around the internet, some people have him as sort of like a fringe, you know, late lottery type, um, and then there's people that might think he can fall down to the 19 range. Do you think he's sort of a, a cut above or is he somewhere in this tier as well? Uh, I would say I think he's probably going to go a cut above, but I think he's probably in a similar tier in terms of uh, of impact and upside. Um, I do think he's probably going to end up going somewhere. In that spot right before you guys, somewhere in the you know fourteen to eighteen range, but certainly you could see a guy like that fall. Yeah, that's that's one of the guys where I think if he's available, the Hawks might uh, might pounce. He was actually reportedly, according to uh, Chris Livermore of the AJC, actually had him. Uh, he was he did a workout and a long workout, apparently like a three or four hour workout with the Hawks uh, earlier this week. So obviously they might be interested in him, but uh, I'm not sure he's going to be available. Just like you said there. Um, yeah, I mean, with him, just going back to him real quick, I yeah. really wish I would have played him a little more at the five spot where I think his his more natural position is. Uh, he, he he does have very good footwork. I think that's very intriguing. I would have liked to have seen him, you know, maybe put in a better position a lot for them. Uh, but he is he is certainly a talented pro, and I think, uh, you know, I think he's going to be an interesting case down the line. Yeah, the more the more I see Allen, the more I watch tape of Allen as a guy people you know always ask me about just trying to prep for this stuff, the more I like him. But it, it's tough to separate all of it from the way that uh, you know he had no guard play really at all yeah. uh, in Texas. So and uh, the fact that he just wasn't used uh, properly, it's kind of you know a lot of these guys have different things like that. You know, Patton uh, had the huge drop off after he lost his point guard. There's lots of different things in this tier of guys to you know obviously as you mentioned Giles injury stuff and just the fact he didn't look as great as we all thought he was going to be. Uh, if he looked like he did in high school, he would certainly not be available. Uh, anywhere near this pick. It might even be a top two or three guy still if he looked like that. Uh, that was sort of where he was back then. So uh, a lot of question marks with the bigs. Um, th- there are, there are of course, some non-bigs that are at least interesting somewhere near this tier, depending on what, what you believe is going to be out there between, you know, Luke Kennard, uh, guys like Justin Jackson, even Juwan Evans maybe. Uh, I, I know Sam Massini, who I talk to regularly about these things, uh, is a big fan of Juwan Evans. Is there a guy or two uh, that you think out, outside of the big man tier that might be intriguing for a Hawks team or really anybody in this range? Yeah, I'm sorry. Were you looking for... Like outside, were you looking for big men or are you looking for anyone? Non bigs, really, just anybody outside that tier. So whether it be you know Justin Jackson, yeah, yeah, yeah. Juwan Evans, like somebody else that's not a center. I mean, it gets so it gets centers. real slim. I you know Terrence Ferguson is interesting. I don't know if I know a whole lot about him. Going going to Australia for that year was an, uh, an interesting choice for him. He didn't get a whole lot of playing time to really showcase what he what he could do. But I think he has at least that potential for a long three and D wing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I necessarily have the most confidence in that but i think there's so few of them out there that he he draws my interest a little bit i do like Jawan evans quite a bit and i think for a a point guard that late in the draft you know i think he just brings a lot to the table i like Derek white as well another guy who's probably more towards that 31st pick than something you lose on the 19th pick but i think he's going to end up being a really good and for you know for you guys uh with schroeder and whatnot i think he could play both on ball off the ball i think he can shoot 
make good decisions with the ball. Not a super high-end athlete, but I think you can put him in a, a little bit of initiation role as well. So I think he could he could fit a couple of spots for you guys, and I think he'd be a pretty good fit. Uh, I think that's where my head goes if I'm looking for more primitive players. Um, I think it would be the, um, you know, Derek White, um, the Jawan Evans. I think I think that range would be a good fit for you guys in 31. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of both. I was actually going to ask about why, so I'm glad you brought him up, just because of what you said with his versatility, the fact that he might be able to play with a guy like Schroeder down the line. Uh, I think he's obviously getting a lot of buzz right now. I, don't, I think 19 would be higher than I've seen him most places. Oh yeah, but, for uh, sure. But still, I mean, it wouldn't. I mean, the Hawks. I mean. Kind of went off the board last year with a guy, Torian Prince, who most people did not have at number twelve. Uh, that ended up working out pretty well so far, at least in a small sample. But um, they're not—they at least weren't in the previous regime. Was not shy. Of course, it is a new regime now, but it'll be tough to uh, sort of gauge what they're going to do. But Derek White would be an interesting fit there. Um, what do you think about Justin Jackson from from North Carolina? That's a guy who's been popping up a lot in mock talk. If he was available for the, Hawks, I, don't, I don't think he necessarily will be, but uh, a guy that might be Hawksy and that he's a sort of a three and D possibility type. Do you, are you a fan of his game? Yeah, no, I like, uh, you know, I like Justin Jackson. I like the, the improvement he really showed this year. Um, some of those guys that really have that big jump in, in perimeter shooting is sometimes you're a little skeptical whether or not they're going to be able to extend that to the three-point line, or the NBA three-point line because of that extra distance. I do look at his form. I think it's going to translate, and I think that's a very big key for him because if that does translate, then like you said, I think he can, he can really develop into that 3 and D type of role. Um, you know, like I said, though, he had a huge jump from his sophomore to his junior season. Went from like 12 to 18 points, really shot the ball well as a junior. As long as that translates, I like him quite a bit. And I think he, uh, you know, I think he brings that kind of well rounded game for you guys. Yeah, I would be, I actually like Jackson a little bit as a prospect. My, my one thing would be the Hawks took two, you know, sort of veteran college sure. wings last year, um, which mean, which would push me a little bit away from that. We didn't see a whole lot of DeAndre Bembry, but that's a guy I like still. Um, didn't see a ton of them, obviously, this year, but uh, a skill set that I like. Obviously, Prince worked out pretty well. So uh, I know a lot of people have been asking me about that as well. And I understand the, uh, of course, he's, he's one of the more famous guys in this range because he was obviously a productive college player. And for the, mo- sure. the more casual fans, they obviously won the title this year as well. So he was uh, in the news quite a bit. Same with Luke Kennard, who I think is going to be long gone by now. But um, if he was available at 19, the Hawks could use that shooting. Are you a fan of Kennard's game in the NBA level? I know people are sort of split on him. I've seen some people having him as high as like the late lottery and as down as like somewhere like 30. Where, where are you kind of at with Kennard? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I think the late lottery seems a little bit crazy for me uh, because of how much of a liability I think he's going to be as a, as a defensive player. Then again, those off-the-ball scores have so much value in this league that I can understand why he moved up but I don't think he should have moved up that far. Like if he would have been at 1920, I think that's probably a relatively safe spot for him because I do think he has a role, even if I worry a little bit whether or not that can be a starting role because of his deficiencies. I think he might be a little bit better off the bench where you can maybe dictate matchups a little bit more. But certainly anytime you have that guy that has that kind of gravity off the ball, he's going he's gonna, to you know, attract interest. I'm just surprised we're now talking late lottery for him. Yeah, I'm a little bit with you on that as well. I've always liked Kennard. I guess it comes down to, um, you mentioned the defense. I think it also comes down to what you think he can do as sort of a secondary ball handler as well. Um, because he did a little bit of that. Duke was was efficient and enough, but not not a great athlete, not a huge wingspan either. Sure. So he's sort of an average-ish athlete. But uh, if he was available at 19, I would be interested in that. I'm, I'm I'm sort of in the camp that the Hawks should at least aim for some upside here because of the, some of the other roster concerns they had. They don't really have a lot of high-end upside talent. Even last year, you know, Torian Prince is a guy I like, but doesn't really profile as sort of that you know guy who can really reach into the stratosphere in the future, more of a safe guy and who I like. But uh, I would like to see some upside. But if they want if they want with a guy. Where you sort of fit a need for them, give, give them some spacing, some shooting. Kennard would be a reasonable choice 
in that range. Um, you know, 31, we're sort of lumping these guys in because it's really tough to talk about specifically with the picks between 19 and 31 just because they're they're kind of close together and you don't know who's going to be available. But is there anybody we haven't discussed that you think might be a sort of a value for you, just almost in a vacuum outside of the Hawks? Like anybody that you like as sort of an early first, uh, sorry, early second round possibility? Because I think I've argued that I'd almost rather have the 31st pick than like the 29th pick just because of the contract situation and stuff. Oh, sure, sure. You know, I think I think I think I like I like Jordan Bell from Oregon. I don't like him for you guys. Um, but I think his overall, anytime you can get a guy like that who can switch and add value as a rebounder, and he's even a, a pretty decent decision maker when he does get the ball. He's obviously never going to be a huge scoring threat. But like I said, that defensive versatility and that rebounding, I think he's going to end up being a decent role player in this league. And we we're talking in the mid 30s. You know, I think that's pretty important. Um, I think once you start getting past that point, though, I do think there's a lot of. A lot of risk. I think most of my guys are kind of in that range. And even even the guards that we talked about, those are some of the guys that I really like. Um, you know, Thomas Bryant, I, I don't know entirely what to make out of him. He was certainly a guy who was highly rated for, you know, heading into the season and didn't really play up to the level that I think a lot of people expected him to. But he certainly is a big physical presence and, 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 and can shoot a little bit from the perimeter too. So I, he's interesting to me from a body and a physical standpoint. He didn't quite make the jump that I think most people expect to and certainly that I hoped for. So he kind of slid down draft boards, but I think just from a, a sheer physical standpoint, he's also another guy that I think has some interest. And obviously the local kid, I'm a Philadelphia guy. <laughs> Josh Hart, I just think is a, a very smart basketball player. I think he's been a really good player for Villanova over his four-year career. I think he's been a key for that team. And I think he does a lot of things that I think, I don't know how well they're going to translate to the NBA, but I think they're going to be useful in the NBA. So I think I have some questions on that shot, but I think if that does translate, then I think he's going to add, add value to the program. Yeah, Hart would be a very Hawksy pick. Uh, very, you yes. know, high end college guy. I'm a big fan of his game in general, and would not have a problem with that at 31 whatsoever. A um, couple of guys to ask you about specifically. The this sort of two veteran college point guards that uh, people ask me about in this range are, are Kansas's Frank Mason and Iowa State's Monte Morris. Uh, do you like either of those guys enough to invest 31 pick? Because the Hawks, uh, you know, we talked about Evans and White. That sort of be a best case scenario for me in that range. But the Hawks do have a backup point guard sort of uh, issue. Uh, either one of those guys that pique your interest enough to invest a 31 pick? Um, Probably not. You know, I have <laughs> I have a lot of concerns with Morris. Um, I mean, just just you can start at the size, and you don't really have to go too much farther beyond that. Uh, you know, you're talking 5'11". He does have a decent enough wingspan. But it's just, I, I have a lot of questions exactly how well he's going to play at the NBA. I have a little bit more interest in Monte Morris. Um, I'm not sure I necessarily would look, if you guys are looking for a backup point guard, I think I'd probably look in free agency or, or somewhere else. I'm not sure I'd look for either of those guys to fill that role. But I think if you force me to choose one of those two, it would be Morris. Yeah, I mean, the Hawks do have just a little insider thing. They do have Malcolm Delaney for another year, so I think he'll be the incumbent backup point guard, but and maybe a little a little bit of a, a, a development opportunity because Delaney, while he was a rookie last year, is uh, already 27, so not a super long-term play. They're just a couple of the guys that have uh, I get asked about regularly. Um, what do you think the possibility is, because we talked about how many centers there are in that late first round, that one or two of those guys actually fall out of the first round, whether it be you know Bam Adebayo perhaps, or even Jonathan John, like we talked about earlier. Is there, is there a chance that one or two those guys about the first round Whew. Uh, I don't think it's going to be John uh, just because his physical profile and that rim protection is so sought after I would be really surprised if he if he ended up falling out of that first round um, you know one of the, some of those other guys it's it's tough to say um, you know I don't think 
I don't think there's quite as firm of grasp on Odebayo. I think he could end up sliding a little more than, yeah, I think it's more of a team by team basis. And I think the other, I, th- I think, uh, uh, Anhe Spasenchik, I don't think I probably butchered that name. I've only read it so many times. <laughs> I, I'm with um, you on that one all the way. I, I, I didn't want, I didn't want to want to try to say it, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I actually, I like, I like him quite a bit. Uh, I think he really developed as a shot blocker. I think his understanding of the defensive fundamentals really improved this year. I think he took a pretty big step, but I'm not sure exactly how well he's, he's, he's recognized across the league. I think he's another one where I could see him, you know, if a couple of teams that may be interested in him don't take him, I could see him sl- slipping in the second round. I think he would actually be a really good, really good steal. Um, you know, like I said, he just he improved so much as a defensive player and it's just his understanding of the game. He's mobile. He got he has some size to him, some 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 good standing reach, good reach. He can really alter shots at the rim, and I think he can develop as his his skill set. Um, and I just I, I like the pro- the progress that he made this year. Yeah, I, I'm not seeing as much of him as uh, basically all the other all these other guys, but I'm intrigued as well from everything that I read and what I've the limited amount that I have seen that would be interesting upside play. Uh, the last uh, big man that I'll ask you about, I promise, is uh, is Tony Bradley from UNC. He seems to be a very, very divisive player. Uh, what do you think about him, uh, just sort of in general, and uh, where you think he's going to end up in the draft? Whether it be, I think you know, the consensus seems to be out, outside the first round, and maybe he's, maybe he sneaks in. Yeah, I think I think that's probably fair. I think you know, early-ish second round. Um, I think he is also a you know a, a, a very divisive prospect, like you said. Um, you know, I think whenever you have a guy, again, you start with his physical attributes, and you look at him in six ten, just in an, an enormous wingspan. Um, that's always going to draw some interest, and I do think he has. I think that gives him quite a bit of quite a bit of potential. And everybody I've I've talked to close to that UNC program. You know, he seems like a really good worker, a really good kid, really pays attention, listens to their coaching. I think my 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 question is, is he an NBA level athlete? And that kind of disappoints me because, like I said, you look at him, 6'10", huge wingspan, looks like he really should be an elite shot blocker. He just doesn't get off the ground all that quickly. I'm not sure how well that's going to translate to the NBA. And I think that's really... You know, I think when you're looking at a center and you're looking at a guy with his physical profile, I think that's what you want out of him. I'm not sure entirely how much, uh, you know, how much that's going to translate on the defensive side of the court. But I do think he is skilled offensively. I think he has something to work with there. But my question is, is he going to end up being the defender that I think some people expect him to be? Yeah, that's the big question. If he's not that, then uh, I don't think you probably want any part of him, at least in the range that he's rumored to go in. Um you know, there's lots of guys to talk about. We talked about a ton of them there. I will. I do want to ask you before I let you get out of here about the number 60 pick. It's extremely difficult. <laughs> you and I were laughing about it before we started recording, how hard it is to pick a guy or two to talk about in that range. But it's sort of in a vacuum. Is there a sleeper or two that you like that are really you know, considered to be deep second-round picks that could be available there? Anybody that you just uh, seem to be higher than, higher than the consensus on? Yeah, I'm not sure I'd say a sleeper. Uh, but I, I do like Sundarius Thornwell. You know, I think he, again, the strides he made – as a senior this season, I think we're, 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 we're really positive. And I think he has a defensive base to work with. So again, if that, if that improvement offensively is, is legitimate, I think he could end up finding his way onto a rotation. Uh, and PJ Dozier, I, I like quite a bit. He's not quite in that 60 range. He's probably more in the mid second round range, but if he falls, he's another one. When you look at just sheer defensive profile and, and, and potential on that side of the court, you know, getting a guy with that kind of a defined skill set that deep in the draft, 
he's one of those guys that I have a lot of interest in. I'm a little bit surprised that he's not rated a little bit higher. And similar in that vein, Tyler Dorsey from from Oregon. Again, just because he has a very defined role and a very defined skill set that I do have confidence in translating in that shot. So if he ends up falling, and again, he's probably more like a mid-second round pick. Uh, a lot of the guys that I, I, I like quite a bit probably tend to fall in that mid-second round range because those guys at the end, um, they usually the sleepers usually don't last that long. It's, it's, it's pretty rare. But if he ends up falling for whatever reason, or maybe you guys can move up, I think he's another guy that I would have interest in, especially, especially in your guy's spot because he can play a little bit of point guard in a pinch. Not a whole lot. You're not going to want him running your offense for extended periods of time. But he can also then shoot off the ball quite you know, very well, one of the better shooters in this draft. So he's a guy I would have interest if he does fall. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it's almost worth asking this even on uh, in this format, you know, just kind of dipping that expectation with, with the number 60 overall pick just because, you know, you, you see the Hawks have the pick and people are, are going to want to know the name or whoever they draft. Uh, the great majority of the time, that becomes a guy who gets stashed and never never appears. There are some exceptions to that, obviously, Isaiah Thomas being the most famous one. Sure. But I've been trying to dim that expectations. Can you please help me do that with some Hawks fans and try to tell them that, you know, it's nice to have another pick, but it almost, not, not that it doesn't matter, but that's sort of the, you know, there's, there's a huge difference between even 45 and 60. Yeah, there is a, a very big difference, 45 to 60. I mean, you can, you can find one or two exceptions to any rule. But, I mean, at that end of the second round, I mean, it's as a Sixers fan, we have hoarded those picks over the years. And a lot of those guys probably won't even get out of summer league. Or maybe they'll sign a contract overseas because that's a much more realistic option for them. You know, like you said, keeping your expectations in check because the odds are, these guys have a have a huge mountain to climb, and you just you, you don't expect any anything really out of them. Like I said, if you can get one that maybe you can stash overseas for a year or two, and that doesn't necessarily mean a European prospect. A lot of these guys this deep in the draft will accept something like that. If you can stash him overseas, and hey, maybe he improves more than you expect. Great. If not, then that, that's probably what you expect to happen. Yeah, I do understand that a lot of fans, especially now that there will be, there'll be these two-way contracts, they might be a little bit more intri- more intriguing with, with the number 60 pick than normal. But uh, in general, I uh, don't want to say that I don't care about it, but it's uh, not not a priority when it comes to uh, breaking this stuff down necessarily. All right, I have to ask about one guy. It's sort of a personal thing for me. Uh, Michigan's DJ Wilson. I am a huge Michigan fan. I'm wondering what, where you are on DJ because uh, people seem to be all, all over the board. And obviously, there was a little bit of uh, consternation as to whether he was even going to stay in the draft. He's in the draft. How do you feel about DJ Wilson? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a little surprised that he came out just because, I mean, look, he made a, a great leap from his sophomore to his junior season. But I, I still think that he, you know, there's still, I, st- I still think there's something in him to grow. And the fact that he is, you know, not necessarily thought of that highly in the draft. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't expect him. I guess what I'm saying is he's still borderline enough on the first round that I'm surprised that he, he made that declaration. But certainly when you have a guy who can, you know, showed that, that prowess shooting the ball. At that position, he's 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 going to attract some interest. So in, in that sense, I kind of get it. You know, I think a lot of people would have liked to see maybe just a little bit more, a, a little larger sample size of both his play and his shooting because that is such a big, such a big part of his game and such a big part of his projection to the NBA three point line. But look, if you have a guy who you could see shooting thirty five to forty percent from the NBA three point three point line and compete on the glass a little bit, then there's a role for that guy in the league. Like you like. You said, though, I'm a little surprised he stayed in, but I also understand the intrigue for a late first-round pick. For sure, and I think, uh, you know, you see that he's a junior, but he, he's a young junior, too. He's only 20, so I, I would have I not been... Uh, I'm, I, I'm not upset that he left as a Michigan fan because, you know, guys want to get their money, go ahead and get it. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Oh, no, I will... Anytime somebody... If you think you can realistically get first-round money, go get it. I mean, for look sure. at... 
look at some of these guys in the draft from the Mellow Trembles to the Isaiah Briscoes to, you know, even Thomas Bryant that we talked about earlier. These were guys who, maybe not Briscoe because he was so bad as a, as a freshman, but if he would have been able to come out as a, as a high school player or Trimble after his first year or Bryant even after his first year when he showed just a little flash at the end of the season, you know, they could have had first-round money. And now those guys might, I mean, Bryant will get drafted, but the other two might not even get drafted. I will never, I will almost never begrudge <laughs> a guy for coming out when he can because you don't know what's going to happen. I just thought Wilson had more to show and maybe could have helped his, my only angle is I think he might have been able to help his draft stock. But I do think there is a chance he still goes first round. Yeah, I'm with you, and uh, I would not I would not be upset at all if the Hawks looked at him at 31 and might be intrigued by that, because uh, even for personal reasons, but I do think he's actually an interesting fit in Atlanta with Mike Budenholzer, who values that spacing from, from his big men generally. Oh, that's right. He, he redshirted anyway, right? So he's only a sophomore. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> he's, yeah they, he's classified as a junior on all these lists, but yeah, he's basically a redshirt sophomore. But he's, and he's 20 years old. I mean, he'll be 21, and he'll be 21 in December. That's a pretty young player, and he showed a lot this year. So I, I'm a big fan of DJ. I've just... Uh, just selfishly had to ask you because uh, people are all over the place, and with good reason. I'm not. I'm not sold on him either as a prospect. I just think it's interesting enough that uh, worth talking about. Just because he also could be available in that Hawks range, so I uh, managed managed to sneak it in there. I had to. Well, I mean, like I said, shooting always has a spot in this league. So as long as you can do everything else at a decent enough level, and you're confident enough that that shot can translate, I, like I said, I understand the injury. Absolutely. Uh, before I let you get out of here, is there? Do you have a favorite guy in this draft? Uh, even even if it, even if it's just one of the top guys, even is there somebody that you're like you just kind of claimed uh, claimed like sort of stake your claim on on this this season with kind of even that's even just a high guy. It could be more. It could be Marco Fultz even, even though that's obviously an obvious, an obvious name. But is there one guy that you think you're uh, sort of aligned with? <laughs> well, I mean, I do love Marco Fultz, but like a boring answer. I think one of the if if we're talking about at the top of the draft, the guys that I really like. Probably more than most people. I like Jonathan Isaac a ton. And when we're talking about defensive versatility, I mean, this kid has it in spades. I could see him even bulking up, defending the five spot a little bit down the line, not for long stretches, but for, for some stretches where you want to go five ball. He has that kind of, of weak side help defense and that kind of mobility. But I can also see him, again, not full time, but on a, in a switching situation, I can see him switching on to twos. And even at Florida State, he switched on to ones. And I think when he can, you know, he's 6'11" has a huge wingspan, has a huge standing reach, really uses that well on the perimeter, and can move it, gets down, gets down the stance and move his feet, has really good timing off the ball, really good quick twitch reactions. You know, I think a lot of people look at upside and we see offense. And even still in this day and age, as, as, you know, as much as we think we focus on defense, I think we tend to gravitate towards offense when we're talking about upside. And I think, look, he, might, he was very tentative at Florida State. I think he, there might have been a little bit of a lack of confidence when he was playing there with Wayne Bacon. But I think he, if you're looking at his offensive upside, maybe, maybe he's only a double in terms of an offensive ceiling. But he could be a home run in terms of defensive player. And I think with how important switching is, you know, I think I, I, I think I have a pretty reasonable degree that he's going to end up being a, a a pretty good defender. And I have a lot of interest in that. And in kind of like that same vein, Frank Nilakina, who I think was disappointing to a lot of people this season, and I think a lot of people rightfully question whether or not he has a burst to be re- a real primary initiator and whether or not he can really create those opportunities. But his jump shot improved a ton, and he has a massive wingspan and really massive defensive potential. I like him a ton, too. Yeah, I like both those guys as well. And, you know, Isaac's uh, one of my favorite guys uh, for sure in the entire class. 
Um, I have to ask you this because you cover the Sixers. If Lonzo Ball goes two, who do you want? Who do you, who do you want the Sixers to take? I'm not uh, not not even asking for your sourced info, but uh, if if it was you and you had the pick with Fultz and Ball off the board for Philly, would you try to try to trade it? Obviously, or would you just t- try to take somebody and uh, pick your own guy? I mean, there's that rumor floating about. I think it was Chad Ford who <laughs> mentioned the Kings potentially trading five and ten to move up to try to get uh, De'Aaron Fox. I would do that in a heartbeat, by the way. I would, I well, I would do that in a heartbeat. And the reason I was saying that, I actually have, for the Sixers, and this is a not not a league-wide, but this is a Sixers-focused big board, I have Isaac ranked third. Because of the forwards, I have the most confidence in his catch-and-shoot shot translating. And that's such a big deal when you're talking about surrounding, uh, uh, you know, putting a team around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So because I have Isaac third, and because I'm you know pretty confident he would be available at five, I would do that trade in a heartbeat. You give me two of Isaac, Monk, Nilakina, or Dennis Smith Jr., and I'm walking out of there very happy. Uh, so he is right now who I have at third. And then after that, it gets interesting. You know, Josh Jackson, I love his overall game. But I worry quite a bit about that jump shot. And look, you take I think he shot 38% from three-point range. I kind of throw that out the window because every other indicator, every other projector you would use from his free throw percentage to his high school performance to his form to his consistency in his release – was really not there. And it, the sample size of that I worry about a lot, but if that jump shot does end up turning around, then he does a lot of things that then he does a lot of things at a high level, maybe not an elite level. I don't think he necessarily has the first or second scoring option offensive potential that I think a lot of people see in him, but I do see a very good, very diversified player with very little weaknesses outside of that jump shot. I just don't like players who have a, I have that much concern of as a jump shot. And some of them you look at and you can see real projectable improvement. With Josh Jackson, it's I'm not quite as optimistic as I would like to be for a prospect that I otherwise really like. Yeah, that's the big question with Jackson, and uh, you have to you have to, you have to be able to fit there. I'm I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in Isaac with B. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, oh, it'd be a blast. Yeah. I love. Like I said. You give me switchable athletes on the on, on defense with Embiid behind them, and I think you can really you can really form a top flight defense. And between Covington, who I think really showed he's one of the better for as much he struggled offensively this year, he really showed he's one of the better defensive wings. And even though Ben Simmons, you know, he might not have gotten down in the stance once at LSU last year, <laughs> he has at least that kind of potential where he can switch on the perimeter if he's engaged, where he does have that quick twitch reaction to force turnovers. And Isaac and Embiid. I mean, that could that could that could be a blast to watch defensively. And like I said, because I do have some confidence, not that he'll have it year one, but that he will eventually extend out to that range in his jump shot. I think he could be a really interesting fit. I had to ask you about the Sixers because I, number one, I find them endlessly interesting, and number two, that's obviously the team that you cover closest, so it made a whole lot of sense. Uh, well, Derek, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, please plug anything that you would like to because I want people to uh, support your work. So get it out there for them. I mean, easiest way is, like you said, DerekBodner.com at Twitter, at DerekBodnerNBA. Uh, a few places, but for the most part right now, it is it is Sixers season. Uh, like I said, I've, I've covered the draft for a bunch of places, Draft Express, which I still do and I still love, and it, it's one of my favorite works. But also USA Today in the past. I'm not doing that this year because I'm now uh, covering the Sixers full time. Uh, but like I said, l- last year when I was writing for USA Today, Draft Express, and covering the Sixers, just really covering the draft from three different angles, so it's a it's a fun time of year. You're you're a busy man. I appreciate you taking some time to uh, educate uh, me and others, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime, man. It's my pleasure. Uh, as for everybody else, we'll be back uh, later in the week with another podcast, and uh, stay tuned for that.
Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.